Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and a robot is not allowed to harm a human's beer, or through inaction, allow a human's beer to be harmed. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading our Patreon poll-selected novel, iRobot by Isaac Asimov, and someone's starting with a beverage. This is from some brewing company, and it is called Beep Bock Boop, or that is, <laughs> should be said more like... Beep, bock, boop. Hillis Bach style lager. Yes. Uh, okay. 7% alcohol. Brewed and canned by some brewing company, York, Maine. Clever-ish. Tastes like beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a good first not, step. Not strong. It's not a super strong beer. Bachs are usually not super sure. strong, right? It's a very malt-forward beer. So you get yeah, a lot exactly. of sweet it just, it mm. just tastes like very malty, which is not the kind of beer that we usually have. We or usually, usually find. Yeah. What's a Hellas again? It's a Greek person. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's a light-colored one. Light color. Okay, yes, it is definitely very light-colored. Anyway, it tastes very malty. I wouldn't say it's a little bit different than just a regular Pilsner type of flavor. It's a little bit different from that, but... Mm-hmm. It has less of that Pilsner thing, but it is still mostly very similar in nature. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, it's okay. It is actually kind of hot, and the ma- the lawn is already mowed, though I did not mow it. <laughs> but I would I would drink this. So beep, bock, rock, boop, because those are robot sounds, I guess. They are, yes. And there is a robot on the can, it looks like. There is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe... Uh, I heard this from somewhere. I can't remember right now, but R2-D2 was actually speaking words, but he was just cursing the whole time. And that's why they were just beeping out what to he bleep to it out. He's wildly like he's, profane. Like he's just saying like the, like the most dirty racist shit. <laughs> <laughs> like can't play any of it. <laughs> I don't think so, R2. Oh dear, that's their word. <laughs> we, we don't say that anymore, R2. <laughs> that's from a galaxy even Longer ago, you would have said that. <laughs> he's, a, he's a product of another time. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, he's doing the best he can. iRobot is a novel from 1950 by Isaac Asimov, but it's actually a fix-up of a bunch of stories that already had been published, some going back as early as 1940. So it's pretty old shit in terms of, uh, think of it as like golden age science fiction. And beyond that, it's more just like a series of logic puzzles that he put characters in. Yeah, it's just to test out his three rules that he made up. (laughs) So anyway, this is from 1950. The reason why this is actually kind of an important book, I mean, for multiple reasons, but one of which is that even though this is like so early in the era of computers, he actually uh, like predicted some major problems that could happen or likely will happen with, well, he calls them robots, but we would today would actually call it artificial intelligence and that how difficult it is to get artificial intelligence to actually do what you want it to do. And he, and even though this is like, you know, so long ago, and a lot of it is very much outdated, but he still nailed it. It, And also, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but, you know, the difference between uh, Asimov and Ray Bradbury, even though they're both writing fix-up novels of short stories about science fiction, this is very much about the science. There's a lot more actual science in it, or you could say it's hard science fiction. Whereas Ray Bradbury was a better writer 
in terms of his prose and his stories, but there wasn't any actual science in there. This is one of the only Asimov things I've read. Uh, and I think for him, like the science drives the plot. Whereas in Ray Bradbury, there's a plot that has that takes place in a world with spaceships. And Ray Bradbury tends to be anti-science, where yeah. Asimov is like, this is cool. What the fuck can we do with this stuff? Yeah. Well, Asimov, was, he, he, was, uh, he had a PhD in chemistry. He was a super educated guy. He was very you know, deeply interested in science. So he, you know, he t- thought it was you, cool. You told us he died of AIDS? Yeah, he did. That's he got fucked a, up. He got a blood transfusion in like 1983 or something. He got AIDS from it, of course. And then didn't tell anybody because, you know, the stigma of having AIDS in that point in the 80s. You know, he only got AIDS by being gay. So he didn't know to say that. But then then he fucking died of it. And then his wife, his family didn't like tell anybody until like 10 years after he was dead. She wrote about it in her autobiography or or in an update to his. Because he wrote several volumes of autobiography. And I think in a later edition of one of them, they added the detail on why they didn't tell anybody and. And we should also say that for those of you who've seen the Will Smith movie from the 90s. I'm so, so, it's from 2004. 2004. Okay. Ooh, that late? Yeah. Damn, man. That yeah. Those, are, those effects are definitely 2000s. Okay. I guess you're right. But anyway, they invented all of that plot. Or more like there's one short story in here that has one little kernel of story that they then borrowed and made an entire plot for Will Smith out of. In other, in other words, that one kernel is the one kernel of corn in the turd that is the movie iRobot. I thought and it you could was spot okay. it. And you could say, "Oh, that's the part." There it is. So you could see. Well, it. they they did take the the three rules of roboticisms. He actually, uh, Asimov invented the word robotics. Like the word robot existed since like 1930 or so, but he from some stupid. Uh, Polish or Czech play, the word robot was invented. Czech writer, Karol Kapek? Chapek? I don't know. There's um, no way we're going to pronounce that correctly. No, it's got like a fucking a thing over the sea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little, a little a divot what? on top of the sea. Circumplex right. or whatever those are called. Um, yeah, Rossum's Universal Robots was the play. It's from 1920. That's where the word, that's where the word robot was first used, but Asimov invented the word robotics, which is now just accepted. And he was basically modeling it on, um, he's like, well, you got mechanics, you know, so you have robotics, why not? And uh, Man, if he had just made a slightly different thing, it would have been totally different. He was just like, robotistry, ro- robology, robotology. Robotussin. <laughs> Robotussin. <laughs> but he does talk about <laughs> robopsychology throughout this book. Like, that's a big deal, the robopsychology. Yeah. That didn't catch on. No, we haven't needed it yet. Maybe it will one day. We should, before we talk about any of the specific stories, all the stories but one have to do with the three laws of robotics. Like the very first one didn't seem to. The one about the little girl and the robot. Well, at the very end. That was her best friend. The reason it has to save her. That was a little bit. Anyway, so the three laws of robotics, these were sort of invented as, well, anyway, he... I'll just read them. Rule number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. 
And so those sound very reasonable. It sounds like if you program that into any piece of machinery or any robot or artificial intelligence that it can't harm anybody and that it'll do whatever you say. But actually, every and since artificial intelligence is a thing people are very much working on, it turns out that that really doesn't work at all. And in fact, almost every single story in here is really about how the three laws of robotics don't actually work. That they don't actually solve anything because when you try and make them work, it leads to very strange outcomes and not the kind of behavior that you think they're going to do. Because it turns out robots uh, are the most pedantic motherfuckers in the universe. <laughs> Just in- incre- incredibly frustrating to deal with. It's like talking to a lawyer or a douchebag on the internet. <laughs> but you know what would help that be better? Would it, would it be beer? It would, yes. It would be great. This is from Evil Twin NYC in collaboration with Equilibrium. And it is a, beer, it's a triple IPA that is double dry hopped and made with marshmallow. That is 10.2% alcohol and is called even more straight out of the marshmallow laboratory because science things happen in this book and they also happen in laboratories. There's definitely laboratories. Oh, yeah. And this beer is remarkable. It certainly doesn't taste 10.2% alcohol. And the marshmallow flavor is in there, but really complements well the citra hops. that give it that really juicy New England kind of flavor we're all used to finding. It's a fantastic beer. I've had several of these in a row even. Not a good idea. <laughs> in a row? <laughs> in a row. Um, so the, the frame that Asimov makes is that a, like a reporter is interviewing this lady scientist so that's how first first way reason you know it's not a Michael Crichton book. He's, and, yeah, decades <laughs> ahead of Michael Crichton. <laughs> and the lady scientist, she's like queen of the robots. I don't know exactly what she did, but she like invented. She like made robot companies. She's the head robo psychologist, and uh, so she's Calvin? the only one who kind Oms? of understands Susan Calvin. And she works for like the very the company's called like Robots Incorporated or something like that. Or, U.S. Robotics. U- U.S. Ro- U.S. Robots. So I guess it's like U.S. Steel or something. Right? Um, and, and she's just kind of re- recounting her life story with these charming anecdotes about when robots were annoying. That's the frame. And it eventually ends, you know, then you get the rest of her whole life story peppered in there. But she's really not a character. In, is she in any of the stories really directly? Or like she's like woven she's, in? She's in one or two. She's like some in the, the background, though. Like, like no, she's a, she is the main person in one of the, some of the later, one of the later ones. Oh, yeah, but in the earlier, there's one in the earlier stories where she's just sitting on a bench in the story, like when the girl goes to the uh Oh, yeah, because the, first the, story. stories, the story she tells, basically, they go chronologically, and they kind of outline the increasing complexity of robots through the history of this world. So like, the first story is about, like, there's a dumbass robot, and it's just a babysitter, and that's it. Can't even talk. But the child loves it. The child loves this robot because it's it. actually a better uh, babysitter than, you know, like people because her parents don't seem to care about her that much. I mean, they do, but they don't seem to spend that much time with her. I guess that's the difference. And he actually, well, Asimov also through this story kind of predicted something kind of important, which is like one of the predicted uses of robots once they actually become a thing is actually not necessarily taking care of children, but actually taking care of the elderly. Old people because are that's gross. a f- 
because as a elderly people, they take a lot of care, which is very expensive. And it's one of the things that a robot could actually do more cost effective, more cost effectively than maybe people could. That and you could have sex with them. <laughs> I've heard about that. <laughs> Some people are having their sex robots. Well, robots don't really care which hole you use. <laughs> it's, the third, it's the fourth law of robotics. <laughs> A robot will not make you wait till it's your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the little girl wants the robot and then the parents get rid of it because the mom is just like a dick. She's like, robots are dumb. And then the husband's like, this costs, you know, what a house costs, stupid woman. And she's like, I don't care. Get rid of it. And the daughter's depressed. And they take her on this ridiculous adventure to New York City where they do all of the things and it's like going to the zoo and the aquarium and flying into space. <laughs> All sorts of, you know, what 1941 people would have thought the future looks like. Oh, yeah. And it's literally the year 1996, I want to say, when this story takes place. And then she goes to the the museum that has the talking robot. And it's it's like the size of a room and it can only answer simple questions, which is pretty much what computers are like. 10 years after this book came out, you know, like those giant IBM things that were like a whole fucking room and you had to put in punch cards and it burn out vacuum tubes. They couldn't answer natural language questions. No, it could only be like, what's two plus two. They could do that yep. if you typed it in. But, and she goes to the robot and like, where's my fucking robot? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and in the background sitting on a bench is the Calvin, Dr. Calvin as a young girl, just to put her there. I would, I would bet in the original version of that story, that character was not sitting on the bench. And uh, then her parents are like, oh, this sucks. This trip was a waste of all of our future credits, you know, because it's the, whatever money it is now. And then they take her to the, to the factory and sitting on the assembly line there doing robot jobs is her robot, which is like Robbie. I think it was Robbie. Yeah. And then, of course, she's like, there's my robot. And then, you know, it's the least safe factory in the world. And she almost gets run over by a train or something. <laughs> and, then, and then the robot saves her. And they're like, I guess we have to keep them. Meow, meow, meow. And that's a story. And you're like, what, is, yeah. what the fuck does that have to do with anything? Where's Will Smith? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a bunch of like three connected stories with these fucking dumb guys. The odd couple in space is what I thought of them as. They are like annoying. Two, like an old married couple of two like robot dudes trying to solve problems of robots fucking up. And the guy just pulls on his red hair. <laughs> <laughs> Mentioned that about 4,000 times. Donovan. Yeah, he was very Irish. Uh, so in that first story, <laughs> they're on Mercury. There are only two people on a base, moon base, not a moon base, on a Mercury base on Mercury. And they need the robot anymore. to go out and get them something. I think it was selenium? Yeah, it needs to get a, take a big cup full of selenium from the selenium puddles. Yeah, they need selenium for the, basically for the solar collectors, but they called them sun panels. Photos cells. Yeah, something like that. But it had, but the robot was doing something really weird, which was instead of going and just grabbing the selenium from the puddle, it was just kept going around in circles around it. And these two guys who were supposed to be experts, but actually knew nothing, <laughs> had to figure out why. <laughs> and they determined it's because the first a couple, the several of the laws of robotics are. Uh, interfering with each other. Like, basically, if it gets too close, it's putting itself in danger. But if it gets too far away, 
but that's also made up of the fact that it needs to get the selenium so the people can survive. So it has to go get it. And so the conflict between the two laws of robotics are making it just go in circles around the thing rather than actually picking it up. Because when it gets closer, one is more powerful and then it gets farther away, the other is more powerful. And it's positronic brain through positronic fields. Anyway, so that's one of them. And then they solve it by throwing a rock at it to get it far enough away from the puddle where it can reset. But didn't it have to save the guy? Like one of the guys had to put it, basically put himself in jeopardy so it, the first rule would overrule everything? Yeah. And then in the second one, uh, oh yeah, this was the, with um, Robo Mohammed. Yeah, that's what I was calling him. <laughs> so this is a totally separate story. After these two dudes, after they leave Mercury, they go back to Earth, and then they get sent to a space station where they have to basically set up and maintain these robots so the robots can do asteroid mining they or something like that. They direct the laser beams, or the energy beams. They're basically like oh, yeah. uh, when the Comcast guy comes to fix your internet, they have to keep the space internet going by directing the internet beam in space. I think Everyone that's what it was. They turn off and turn on the modem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need someone up there. They want to set it up so that the robots can do this on their own and that the humans aren't needed to be out there watching the robots do it. They never say what the beam is really for, yeah. but it's very important, whatever it is. But they set up one of the robots literally by assembling him because that's what they do. They, they arrive in parts and they're assembled and the robot, because you know, it has some artificial intelligence, but it was activated. It was only turned on on this like space station and it doesn't believe the two guys like it goes through this whole thing like Descartes and even calls him robo Descartes because he's like well I think therefore I am so I'm the only thing I can depend on and then he goes through this whole thing that the two men are not in charge the two dudes it's actually and he had a word for it I can't remember his word for it the maker he's like he, he thinks the energy beam is the like is basically God is basically the thing that's what they're all there for, and he has all these logical reasons why he does that. And at one point, he says, "the the beam is our God, and QT is his prophet." Yeah, because up. they call them QT because he was made out of like leftover parts or something, right? Or no, no, because like... his his robot word was the letters QT one. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. Okay. There is no master but the master. And QT1 is his prophet. And then he basically convinces all the other robots to follow him. And he starts, you know... A revolt. Space, is space <laughs> Islam. <laughs> and so the two dudes, they're like, how can we convince him that we're, we made him and that we're actually from Earth? And QT1 is like, you're not from Earth. That is preposterous. That tiny little dot over there, how that's... There's no way. There's not a chance. That is too far-fetched to believe. And so they're like, okay, well, we've got more robots to assemble. So we're going to go do that now to come watch us. So they go and assemble another robot. And it's like, see, we made the robots. And then QT1 still doesn't believe them. It ends because they eventually realize it doesn't matter what these robots believe as long as they fix the beam and they... They get the beam through some, like, incoming asteroid field or some shit, oh, and they're like, yeah. oh, well, I mean, I guess if they believe this thing is God, then they will do whatever they can to make sure that it keeps going, and it really doesn't matter why they do it as long as they do it. And In fact, it's probably better this way because they will do anything for that fucking thing. And then they yep. show up, the, the guy shows up to relieve them, and then they don't tell him, by the way, 
the robots have started a cult and they locked us in a room for a week. Uh, good luck, dude. Instead, they're just like, cool, bye. Because they don't yeah. like that guy. He's a douche. Yeah, that's really fucked so, up. <laughs> I got punked. <laughs> in this story, Asimov has predicted the difficulty in programming a computer to understand what you understand. Like, in order, because we think of things like, like with the first law, like, no human can come to harm. Well, but how do you define human and harm? And we, as people, we understand these concepts intuitively. But if you have to make a definition in English, that's really, really difficult. You have to, like, solve all of philosophy in order to make sure you're definitely getting that right. And then you have to program it into a computer and essentially ones and zeros in a way that the computer will also understand it the way you understand it. And that right there is kind of like the one of the fundamental challenges of artificial intelligence. Like, it's really hard just to get the thing to think what you think. Robots are dicks. Because it's their fault. so different. But they're dicks. I got a beer for this. <laughs> this is from the Talea Beer Company, and this is called Secret Password. Because, you know, they're robots. You must have had to use a password, you know, to get into them and to fix them and stuff. This is a double IPA. It is 8% alcohol by volume. And it says, fresh squeezed, citrusy, springy. And with this indulgent, hazy double IPA, bursting with notes of freshly squeezed lemon and grapefruit. Yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe I get a little bit of lemon. Skeptical. I'm not sure I really get grapefruit. But, you know, it's fine. I've had this a little while, so maybe it's not as freshest. It could have been, but it's okay. Uh, I sh- we should also say that this beer, all our beer, is brought to us today by our patrons over at Patreon. Mm. Tastes better. This, this episode is chosen by our v- listeners. And so we'd like to thank our listeners because you made us do this. It's true. And one of the sweet, sweet perks you can get is getting your name shouted out. So, uh, Nate, t- shout out those fine people. Ben, Aldog, Steven, Nick, Joe P, Crab, Daniel, Amir, Hayden, Mariano, Emotional Support Burrito, and CL. You guys are awesome. Thanks, guys. Especially the burrito guy. <laughs> That's a great name. I'll, ne- I'll never. It is. I'll never come yep. up with anything mm-hmm. as good as that. So, Nate, what was the Ben name? Ben, Nate's Mamova. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes. Uh, Wait. <laughs> that's awesome. It took so long to get you he to He really say that. did that? Yeah, he did. <laughs> it went... Did it, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Elizer. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> well played. <laughs> weeks of planning. <laughs> wait, wait. That's why you said, Nate, you need to read it. Yeah, of yes. course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. So good. <laughs> patrons can also get access to our episodes two weeks early. And starting in September, we are doing a read-along series with patrons on the book, Don Quixote. And if you join our highest tier, we will send you a copy of the book and 
Coming soon, Drunk Guys Book Club Beer Classes. They go on more robot adventures. And the next one is about a robot miner. He's of age. He just likes digging. <laughs> and he's Dave the, Dave the Magic Finger Robot. Because he's got so many fingers, <laughs> he'll drive you crazy. Or drive himself crazy, because he's got too many fingers. That's the whole thing. He's got too many little robots that work for him. So when anything weird happens, he gets overwhelmed and has a BF. And so they shoot one finger in the face, and he's like, I feel much better. Yeah, that one was kind of weird. That one was dumb. Like, they really yeah. didn't have to do with the laws at that no, point. No, that was just like, he's got, he's got, he's just over, he's overworked. But also, it does bring up the fact that slide rules are used in exceptional amount in robotics. <laughs> are they where at the time? Well, it's a story from 1944. The yeah. slide rule lobby was really strong back then, so people were using them for all sorts of crap. So then the next story is about the robot who doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings and is accidentally psychic. Whoops! <laughs> they put one too many vacuum tubes in him, and he could read your mind. And it grossly, it very literally interprets the first law, won't hurt anybody's feelings, by telling them the truth. So when someone's like, am I going to get that promotion? He's like, yeah, you're going to get that promotion. And he's like, but I... Later, I didn't. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Whoops. Oops. How does that hot guy feel like? That hot dude totally loves you, dude. Like, does he? Like, yeah, definitely. You're not, the, you're not a weird uggo that no one likes. <laughs> well, he brings up a good... Well, Asimov in this story, he's illustrating an important point, which is like, well, what does harm mean? You can't just tell a robot don't harm a person because, like, what is the robot supposed to think harm even is talking about? And all, and we, you know, as regular people, we were just going to assume it meant physically harm. But this one says, oh, no, also emotionally harm. Proving that robots are the most pedantic motherfuckers in the universe. They're like a Hollywood version of autistic people. Like, they, they can only know the... They're ex- like Rain Man. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. There's no deviance from that. I need eight fish sticks and it's time for Wapner. Like, that's all... The robots are capable. It reminded me of the um, Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime when he's like, just stop or just drop. It's like, I, well, I, I dropped it so I could keep doing this. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's the whole basis for the next story where they, Susan gets hired to find uh, one robot hiding amongst a bunch of other robots because they all look alike. It's a special uh, robot, right? Because this, ro- this robot was uh, programmed without the first law because he's a military robot, but they have to find him so he doesn't get shipped out with a bunch of regular robots. And they find out that he got lost because someone said, go lose yourself, because it was the 50s, and they didn't tell him <laughs> to go fuck off. Because at that point, <laughs> who knows what that robot would have done. It'd be a lot easier to spot him, I think. He's just jacking it. Hey, there he is. <laughs> I think that's the one I was talking to. Well, it was really different when you said, beat it. Right? <laughs> okay. I will yeah. need more grease, axle grease. They did a bunch of tricks, but the only funny part of that was the idea of a robot telling, being told to fuck off. Because they were in space, he couldn't say, go play in traffic, because <laughs> it's 1948 or whenever this fucking thing came out. So then the next story... Uh, several companies are trying to build a machine that will basically become like a hyperdrive so they can explore space instantaneously. And one robot, one company gives their stuff to the other company because this math problem they gave their robot caused the robot to just explode. And so they said, if you solve this problem for us, we'll pay you. But they're really just trying to get the other company to blow up their robot so no one will beat them to it. But they figure this out 
and they give it to the robot and the robot's able to kind of fix it and figure out how to do it. And they get that odd couple from the early stories onto this ship that the robot has built and he can't tell them how it works. So they're just on the ship and suddenly it disappears and it's far, far away because it works because he's a robot, but they can't ask him about it because of logic questions. But they realize they're in deep space. There's no showers. There's no toilets. And all the food they have is milk and beans. (laughs) And it's going to get real smelly. And they're gone for like a week. Just a week of milk and beans in space. And they get back and they're like, I need a fucking shower. This beer is called Showers. (laughs) It is from Other Half and it's a double dry hopped India Pale Ale, 7.4%. Smells lovely. It's it's nice. It's it's got kind of like a milky texture to it, like quite a silky. It's not it's not super sweet. It's definitely got a kind of a almost a slightly bitter aftertaste. But it's it's you know for a extraordinarily hot day out when we're recording this, it's it's nice. It's 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 not what I expected. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah I see you laughing. Are you still laughing that we got you to say that name? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually. I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> I am, yep. He's just thinking of how he's going to God damn get get us back somehow. <laughs> <laughs> we went through so many drafts of that name. Like, how oh, we, really? How can we spell it? How much time did you guys spend on that? Probably 12 minutes, but it was yeah. intense 12 minutes. Spread out over of, several days. And a lot of laughing to ourselves. <laughs> uh, wasn't the point in that story like... They, they, this is this is the one where it was like really obvious, like oh, this is like super, like contract lawyer level, yeah, bullshit. The, the point was that the, like the technically robot they died for a minute, so he didn't have to protect him anymore or something. So he became like a practical joker. Yeah, they, they technically like when they hyperdrive, they ceased to exist, so they weren't really dead. But he couldn't talk about how it worked because if he talked about how it worked or told them, he would have to admit that they would cease to exist. But if he just didn't tell anyone and they came back, then they were fine. So it's like but, a... But he was like, like but I'm also going to prank you. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little prankster. They did mention this robot was kind of a juvenile asshole. Because in robot years, he was only five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why, why else would he give them just milk and beans? <laughs> That's a really... Why not even water? Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> but like, how does the... Does the spaceship just like synthesize beans out of out of space? They were packed with cans of the the robot was like, let me handle the inventory on this this flight. Yeah, he, yeah, did, he didn't tell anyone how it was. He just created it, and other robots assembled it. So there were no people counting cans of beans. I guess <laughs> just a week in space with a guy you fight with all the time, and <laughs> and both of you have really weird indigestion issues. It's an all fiber diet. That sounds pretty awful. <laughs> So technically, he was still harming them in a way. <laughs> I know. Is it that? What does harm mean? That is it, the point of this book. It does not mean a chapped anus, apparently. Because <laughs> they had to wipe a lot. It didn't say it gave them toilet paper. <laughs> oh. <laughs> robot, was a, this robot was a dick. Speaking of robots, there's another story after this where there's like the guy who thinks he's a law he's running against a robot or the, uh, no, people think he's a robot he's like i'm not a robot they think he's a robot because they've never seen him eat and he's just too nice i was like that guy must be a fucking robot and then he goes and he 
gives them, he says, I'll do whatever I want. I don't have, I'm a lawyer and maybe a robot, so I'm doubly the most pedantic motherfucker in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) But everybody's like, I can't believe he's not a robot. This is, I can't believe it's not Lager by Fifth Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) This is an ale, 4.8%, a virtual Lager. It seems pretty, seems pretty analog to me. I don't know. <laughs> Brewed using a clean fermented quike yeast. Oh, that that, uh, that new, quike quike yeast. Yeah. But this is a virtual. Lo- I guess it's an ale pretending to be a lager. I don't know why you want to do that, but I guess they're just trying to experiment and you know go forward in the future with technology. That's the whole thing with craft beer. You know, that the small breweries can can do an experiment like that, and if it's a terrible disaster. They don't lose, you know, a huge amount of money. No. And if they're successful, they can do it again. Or keep toying with it. It tastes like, uh, tastes like beer. I don't know if it tastes like lager, but it tastes like probably some kind of lager that I don't know very well. But, yeah, I mean, it just tastes like beer. I find, like, lager ends up not tasting like much. It's, like, a yeah. very, very clean beer flavor. There's, you know, there's, like a, there's, a, there's a growing backlash movement of internet beer nerds where it's like, shitting on beers that aren't lagers or Kolsch's, where it's like, oh, everyone's eating this pastry stout or this hazy IPA, but like, oh, lager is where it's at. Like, no, it's not. It's fucking not. We've done that for like 70 years, and they've been the same the whole time. It's not that interesting. It never has been. It's like, I invented the best kind of white bread. Like, did you? <laughs> Who the fuck cares, dude? We talked about that. This is, I think, one of those, um, I'm not surprised to see this is on the internet. It's one of those, like, purity test kind of things like we're like expert level like how good do you beer if you could if you could tell the it's like it's like almost as a douchebag who's like this bottled water tastes better than that bottled water like that level of that exists oh it does but like the subtle differences for you to even pretend you see them or detect them yeah it's you basically saying to her i am so fucking good at this thing that I look for a challenge to appreciate beer, which like, that's the dumbest like, thing. I like, try well, to get as close as possible to the thing that's been done a million times. Like, well, that's at some point not impressive because everyone knows how to do. I mean, I don't, but everyone that does this knows how to do that. So what's the point? Well, how do you, it's like, I think it's like French cooking or something, you know, like where it's like Just really put three sticks based. of butter. Well, that's true. But like, you know, <laughs> where it's like, did you do the, did you did you do everything perfect? Like you, there's no way to cover up your mistakes. Where like we said this before, like a pastry stout, you're like, oh, that's kind of boring. Dump a bunch of coconut and coffee in it. Let's see what happens. And you're like, oh, this is actually quite drinkable now. Or an IPA, you're like, ah, it's all right. Let's just put more hops, and it's fine now. That. So they're trying to like point out, like, oh, this is the super special beer that you know you have to be a, a, a fucking samurai to make. And I can appreciate it. Also, but in the end, it tastes, <laughs> it tastes kind of like a nice Budweiser. Is it worth that? Well, Quike is supposed to give more fruity flavors than other yeasts. Whereas, you know, Belgian beers tend to give more spicy, peppery kind of flavors. I could see I it know. slightly. But, I mean, I think the point of this was that it's an ale pretending to be a lager. The difference of which for most people, including me, is lost on me. I know that they're different, but effectively, whatever, it doesn't matter too much. I don't know. It just it just feels like whatever, elitist, 
maybe, but oh, yeah, like, but elitist in being the most basic thing you could be. Like, I'm not making like incredible, like, ah, well, you didn't elitism in, in that you, you've put a lot of effort into doing this elaborate, like incredible thing that people can't pull off. It's elitism in like doing the, the opposite of that. One thing I always liked about craft beer is that it was always, it seemed to me the opposite attitude. I was like, this beer now is better than any beer there used to be. Like it's old. It seemed very optimistic. You Even know, if like, it's not better, it's different. Cause the point is they're trying to make different things to see like what, what works, what doesn't work. Let's find out. Let's, you know, like, let's open up the field a little bit because, you know, for most of history, beers have all been pretty similar. At least, uh, I'm sure back when they were the only choices, they were wildly different. But compared to now, they're pretty similar. And they being the big brands you're talking about now, right? Yeah. I mean, just like like beer brands, like German beers are all the fucking same. I don't care what Germans say. It's, it just, it just, it seems fucking snobby. Mm, All right. So that's... So then, like, ah, we don't know if he's really a robot or not. Next and we story. We never will. I forget. No, which there, one was came little, next. there was a little. There was one more a, story. There was a little thing in that story. Whereas, you know, that the, you know, so this he this guy is trying to be a politician, except he might be a robot. And then there's this other dude tries to get convinced he wants to run against him. Says, you know, oh, well, he's he's might be a robot. You just. And then he tries to get people to prove it, and he won't do it, he won't do it, he won't do it. And then there's like a crowd, like a mob outside his house. And it's like, just punch a guy. If you punch a guy, you will have violated the first law of robotics and therefore will have proved that you're not a robot. So finally, he does. And it's like, oh, well, he's definitely not a robot. Okay, and then he gets elected, and then he comes up. Except there was actually a loophole there. In that, because he was a robot that looked so much like a human, you couldn't tell the difference. He just had the person who made him make a second robot that looks like a human. You can't tell the difference. And he actually just punched another robot. But no one figured it out except Susan. Not against the first law of robotics, but nobody figured it out except for Susan. Yeah. And then he becomes president of the world. Yeah. Because he's that fucking good at... Because through his robot rules... Being a robot. His robot rules prevent him from doing anything that would harm humans. So he makes laws that are better for people and gets everything going good until the next story when people are just open about it and AIs rule the world. Yeah. The final story where there are AIs that essentially entirely plan every, the whole world's economy and like taking all of this data and then plan out exactly what needs to be manufactured all the time so that there's always enough Everyone has a job. There's always enough to eat. There's always enough to produce, stuff like that. And the robots have gotten, have built their own robots past the point where humans can even understand how they work anymore. Which, by the way, is actually true for today's um, sort of machine learning, Mm. like the kind of things that, which, which I'm sure the Google algorithm is built on, and all the recommendation engines and search engines, they're actually built with this artificial intelligence that goes through a million different iterations training on like it data that comes in and then people say yep you did a good job figuring out that that letter is an is an a and stuff like that so anyway they go through all these things but under the hood like what's going on inside the computer as is trying all these things is so complicated that no person could ever look at all the ones and zeros and look at all the things and actually understand it so while we have algorithms now that do all these pretty amazing things, it's impossible to, to really say how. 
I'm talking about like the artificial intelligence or at least the machine learning algorithm that can recognize handwriting, can recognize from text that's handwritten and figure out what it says. Or even the speech recognition things, like the way Siri works and the way, you know, Google Home and Alexa work, the way they've learned, like, well, what you say and turn it into actual words that, that, you know, can be typed out or that can be understood. It's impossible for a person to really understand how it does that. Whenever you sign into a website and they have those fucking recaptcha things where it's like, click on all the motorcycles. When you do that, you are teaching Google's cameras and robots to recognize certain objects because you can't describe it to them. They just have to, you know, look at billions and billions of pictures of these things to learn what they are. You know, it used to be, and if talking about a couple of years ago, whenever you had to do those capture things, there were always like strange words. Yeah, like, they were like you had really to like you looking. had to write out what the words were, and it was and it was because you were training Google's handwriting algorithms by just you're telling it what word it is, and by doing that a ton, like we're talking millions and millions and millions of times, it can actually understand handwriting. And now, because they're all pictures, like, click on all the buses. Click on all the motorcycles. You know, you're actually feeding data because for to Google, which is trying to make self-driving cars. And these self-driving cars are going to be a lot better at what they do because they will have had a million people. These are pictures. When you do that, there are pictures taken by, like, actual self-driving cars cameras. And you're just telling it, like, what, you know, what, what are the motorcycles so that it, it can know. It's a little scary. You're training it. We're, we're training our robot overlords. We are, yeah. Every time Double we want to reset our passwords. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the point of that last story is that the humans are kind of, at this point, just at the mercy of the robots. And the robots can now choose to kill people if they, so does, if they, so, if they, if they feel that they're protecting more, the, the most humans possible by eliminating certain kinds of people, they will do that. And so humanity is along for the ride, and the robots are taking them to the best place they could possibly be, but they don't know what that is yet, and they have no choice. You know, most choices that... I mean, most difficult choices that either a leader or even this artificial intelligence will have to make are not between harming people and not harming people. It's trying to figure out which is going to do the least harm, And so as a computer, it's like, well, this will help 51% of people and this will harm 49% of people. So let's do it, you know, because that is in a certain definition of help. You know, if you have to choose between those two and you can't avoid the choice, then that's what it'll do. It's like a civilization-wide trolley problem. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the whole point whether the laws of robotics were made, right? Were they to prevent the robots from hurting people? They lo- they have somehow they've evolved gamed it, so now unwittingly perhaps you know it's not like there's no evidence that I've detected where the robots are malicious, but it goes back to something said, Nate said earlier like what does it mean like it was in the the psychic story what does it mean to harm somebody right and and there's very different things I mean if they control the whole world conflict is inevitable right so they look at harm there they've kind of evolved to the point where it's like they can harm a per an individual person, but they still will not harm humanity as a whole. So they do whatever is best for the whole. So actually in, in later books, Asimov adds a fourth rule or law, which is that don't talk about robot club. 
<laughs> it's basically the first <laughs> law, but instead of saying a person, it says humanity. Mm. They add this, or that's the or that's the zeroth law, or something. I forget if it's the fourth or the zeroth, but because like the laws kind of build on each other, so I guess it. But then even so, if it's you know if it's a a, a robot can't cause a person to have harm unless like the first law, unless you have to do it because of the first law, right? Because that's how the other yeah, laws work. They, they build on each other. So I think it's I don't know. I'm not, I, there are a whole bunch of other robot books by him. There's a bunch of more short stories and I think some like full-fledged novels in this series. So he probably keeps coming up with more of these conundrums. Anyone want to read those? Not that excited. I, I don't need to, but I actually like this book. I thought it, for some reason it felt less hokey than Bradbury. I don't know why, but maybe it didn't have that, you know, ham-fisted nostalgia that Radbury, Ray Bradbury sometimes puts into his stories. But I, I thought it was it was good. I mean, he's clearly not like a high... He's not a high prose writer. This came out the same year as The Martian Chronicles. Okay. Yeah, but Ray Bradbury... I mean, there weren't really any robots in Bradbury stuff, is there? No. I can't remember any. If there are, I if there are, that's very so. tangential. Oh, there's that one, ro- there's that one robot family that the guy builds. But they're mostly... They're not really robots the robot in the same house. way. Yeah. The house that does everything for you. But that, that's more like automated than... He doesn't have these like free-thinking robots and the issues derived thereof. I liked it. I did like... Oh, I wrote these down. These uh, their exclamations that they had. Instead of, holy shit, and fuck me. They're like, sizzling Saturn. Holy space. Great <laughs> galaxy. Like, they only use space exclamations. I was like, all right, cool. Well, I mean, these are again. These Space are published age. originally for, you know, weird tales and Galaxy Magazine. You see, like uh, Batman yelling that and Batman in space and action comics. And the, those sound like the kind of crap Robin would say, actually. <laughs> yeah, jumping Jehoshaphat, you know. <laughs> Holy Dumbo. space! That's my whole Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I this is. Uh, I thought it was fine. I do agree. It is a little. It 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 did remind me a lot of Ray Bradbury. I think just because of the, the time and like, they're they're very similar books. Yeah, it's it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this didn't have the nostalgia. I think the biggest thing is that Ray Bradbury is afraid of technology, and Asimov liked it, and that's in the stories. Even though Asimov is he's pointing out he's pointing out these issues with the laws of robotics that he invented, they pretty much always get solved, right? They always figure it out. The yeah, humans. So he's pretty optimistic about it. Ray Bradbury is more of like the sci-fi where it talk, you know, uses sci-fi to explore other themes. And Asimov is just like, robots are fucking cool, man. <laughs> These aren't really necessary. I mean, aside from like the end where they're like, what's happening to humanity? Like besides that, there's not a lot of like philosophy or, you know, literary themes. It's just, look at robots. Did we solve the puzzles? Yes, we did. I thought it was fun. I felt, because this is our third fix-up novel we've done in recent, in recent succession. Yeah. And man, I'm really not loving them. They're pr- it's kind of like, we did, we did Martian Chronicles first, and it was like, okay. They were all, great in terms of being released, sure. they're all this month. Yeah, it's true. And then we did uh, Illustrated Man, Patreon only, uh, and now we're doing this third one, and it's like, ugh, enough of these short stories. Let's just stick with novels yeah that's what i felt i i agree with you i thought the frame of this one was better than illustrated man for sure because it was it was a series of short stories but it was like it was kind of a linear plot at least 
and they have recurring characters and like the evolution of the robots and stuff. It wasn't, they weren't just like a bunch of bullshit just thrown together. The illustrated man in particular was kind of a weak collection of stuff. It was just 14 kooky tales and, and a very, very thin connection between them. But I agree with Nate. I mean, I, I think we learned this though after our short story month ex- ex- uh, except experiment. Short stories kind of suck. <laughs> They're just not as satisfying. And even if you read 10 short stories that are kind of related in a row, it's still not the same as if you had just read one longer work that really dealt with, even if it doesn't deal with anything, it just has a more in depth plot. Yeah. I've never read any, I don't think I've read anything else of Asim. Oh, I've read one other novel. He has uh, Did you do the foundations or anything. God, no. no. I read the first Foundation, and I also read At the Edge of Eternity. That's the one I've read. The mm. time. The Edge of Eternity was, it was okay. It was definitely okay. This Foundation is just like the Silmarillion in space? No, no. It has a, it has a specific thing oh, okay. that's going on in it. But, and then Foundation is his most famous thing, and I, also, I only read the first book. I don't know if they get better after the first book, but... You know, like 1,000 pages. I mean, the book is only 300 pages or so, but like the whole series about futuristic psycho-historians. It's like, What the fuck is really? a psycho-historian? Got to read the book, find out. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> I don't remember. So you're going to have to read about it. He also added to that a lot and then wrote backstories and changed them and did some retconning along the way. So that's a whole thing. So I read that. Isaac Asimov wrote 500 books or something like that? He edited a lot, too. So usually when you see that, not that he didn't write a tremendous amount, but he he, usually the number is like he wrote or edited hundreds of books. So he would write one, and then he would edit it and put a new version, and they would include that as a new book in this? No, I think it'd be more like, Here's here's the best science fiction of 1973, edited by Isaac Asimov. Okay, kind of okay. I think a lot of them were actually, were, I mean, addition, a lot of the ones that he wrote as well were actually nonfiction. They were just like popular science books. I've read one of his, his uh, nonfiction books. I read his one about math, because he wrote these things, kind of meant to introduce a, a lay audience to appreciate this topic in a way, you know, with more depth. So I read his math one a couple of years ago. It was interesting, you know. Math is something I always wanted to understand. Like when they have people in movies doing a big math problem, it's like, ah, that's how we'll get this thing to work. And it's like, what? How? You're talking yeah. about growing a different kind of bean or like how, uh, <laughs> how an engine will work. But I just did a bunch of weird symbols and did an equal sign and that's how engines work. Like, I don't fucking understand this at all. So, you know, if you do, more props to you. But uh, well, it's, the problem is it's Jimmy, basically we went to humanities high school. So we got a pretty shitty math education. I, I got a decent math education and I uh, did not understand it the entire time. I mean, I, I wish I, that's why I read his book was I want to know more about it. But I, I left knowing like, oh, that's a cute, cool thing. But I could not, you know. Yeah. You, you did not have a new appreciation of the abstract concept of math? No. No, I, I somehow missed that. <laughs> <laughs> you suck, Asimov. <laughs> you had one job. He also has a whole series of, he has like young adult science books too. Like Lucky Star. And I think I read one of those at one point. Like Lucky Star and the Moons of Jupiter. 
I mean, he wrote a tremendous amount of shit. He also apparently wrote 90,000 letters or postcards. You know, putting postcards in there is just cheating. Just think of how many that is a day. Like, just to, if you were to start right now, you're like, I'm going to write, I'm going to, I'm going to write 100,000 postcards. But first of all, to who? Second, who counted them? Was he just kind of like wrote another one on a big tally sheet like a weirdo? I bet he did. <laughs> I bet he kept track. Wrote another postcard today. Like, okay, well, props. The point is that the guy was extreme. He was just writing all the time. And, uh, and nobody knows what his birthday was. What? Yeah. Really? Because he was born in some remote Russian shtetl, you know, where they didn't actually record things well. And he, he was born in one of his, in his own autobiography. He's like, I was born sometime around this point in 1918 or maybe very early 1919. And he just celebrated his birthday on January 2nd, which is probably like the day his family went to the office to record the birth or something. But he might have been four months old already. That's a so big baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one knew. He did not know his exact date of birth. Maybe, maybe all this stuff he did... All this learning, all this knowledge in every subject was just because he didn't know his own birthday. So he wanted to know <laughs> everything else. If I read enough, write enough books, I'll find out. <laughs> He's an interesting dude. But yeah, I think, we, I think we, should, we could take a very long break from the fix-up novels and also sci-fi from the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we've got our fill that, of it. That would be fine. But if you're into it, it's a fine book. It's, it's less hokey than the majority of it. And holds up a lot better than most of them do. Yeah. If you like this kind of thing, there's no reason for you not to read this one since it's one of the most famous, guaranteed, and one of the probably one of the best of the era. And it can't be worse than the movie. Holy shit, was that bad. It's tolerable. It's so bad. All, all I really remember it of is, is the robot going, I did not murder him. And that's, <laughs> that's, I remember that scene. And, and Will Smith is Tom like, Tom Brady's ex-wife. What? The actress in it is Tom Brady's ex-wife, the one he left her for Giselle Bunch. When she was pregnant? Yes. He like left a pregnant woman to have... Uh, what's her name? Bridget Moynihan? Yeah. Fucking Tom Brady. All right. Well, uh, tell us what you thought, I guess. Send us an email to DrunkGuysBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DrunkGuysBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkGuysBookClub. And you could uh, you know, head over to Patreon.com slash DrunkGuysBookClub if you want to help support the podcast, like our new friend Ben and several other people. And... Uh, get all sorts of cool stuff or just leave us a review that'll also help us out big time just get five stars and also check out the hopped up network a network of independent beer podcasters and thanks for listening <laughs>